All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts where you can also leave comments and don't forget to like the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcast. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. In the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1.6%. The S&P 500 last week was up 1.8%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 2.2%. For the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 15.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 19%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 15.6%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, where do we start this weekend show? (laughs) There's a lot of different places we can start. But, Where would you like to start, Joe? Since we a lot of well, times, I'm just noticing this because Kyle likes to work out a lot. The word barbell comes to mind. If the Dow is up 15.3 percent for the year, and the Nasdaq is up 15.6 for the year, that looks like a barbell strategy, Kyle. Well, as we've been talking about the barbell strategy on the Money Wise program, I think you're just looking at things from a performance standpoint. But as we've been describing the barbell strategy as having a combination of lower valuation, more value type stocks that pay consistent dividends, and then the other side of the barbell being your higher growth, uh, higher momentum, higher price earning multiple stocks to create that barbell. And as we've seen all year, and and as we've been talking to clients and prospective clients this year, and Joe, I know you've said it this way, that the market is a little schizophrenic. You know, typically in a market, any given market year, you'll start to see kind of some horses, and those horses being industrial sectors starting to pull away second, third quarter to the end of the year. But again, it seems week in and week out, we're just seeing different industries take the lead one week, and then they fall back the next week. It's really hard to make heads or tails of the market. Now, obviously, there's never 100% clarity in the market, But even this past week where we saw interest rates coming up, 
But then we also saw the technology names coming up. Now, a couple weeks back, when interest rates were, were coming up and rising, we saw a sell-off in technology. So it, it, it's really, there, there's no roadmap, as you said, Joe, on this show many times as we're continuing to recover from the COVID pandemic. And this is just another classic example of the kind of schizophrenia of the market where rates are going up, but here come the technology names coming up. So, so you're basically saying turn off the TV, quit watching your portfolio, and let the professionals handle it. Well, I, I, well, I would say I would say this is the this is the reason why you need diversification because if if you're in a portfolio that was highly concentrated in tech in the first couple quarters of this year, you'd have been biting your nails down to the nub because you would have been seeing month over month, de, you know, depreciation in your portfolio as tech was selling off and the large cap value, mid cap, small cap value. Um, asset classes were starting to finally catch a bid or, or finally seeing buying come in. But now we've seen the value start to roll over a little bit, and we're seeing more of the higher growth names starting to catch bids in the late second quarter going into the third quarter. Third quarter. Well, you, you also saw towards the end of the week when earnings were coming out with the financials, financial stocks, Goldman Sachs beat a lot of these financial stocks beat. You do see a little bit of a rally based on fundamentals which is what I like to see. I like to see positive earnings, earnings beat, and then all of a sudden you see that particular industry that's announcing their earnings actually do a little bit better. That was actually normal. Jeff. Yeah, okay. Jeff. Since there's only two minutes left in this segment, let me let me let me get in my two bits for the <laughs> Poor week. Poor Jeff, finally right. see. So first of all, just for the week and not to nitpick a little bit, but the interest rates were actually a little lower for the week. Were they? they? I'm sorry. Yeah, they were just, just just by a few hundredths of a basis point. We'll call generally the interest rates have been trending higher all year. The highs of the, so far the, the, the 10 year yield high for the year was in March, if memory serves me correctly, and then they've kind of trended sideways to down and they've started to move back up again. You know, I think really the things that I was most concerned about going into this week, given all this volatility up and down that we've we've been experiencing now, uh, it's almost a month since this, this started, like the third week of, of uh, September when the volatility really started to ramp up, is I was, I was focusing on, okay, what are these inflation numbers going to be? Because I've been really preaching here for the last few months about keeping an eye on inflation and, and is inflation truly transitory as the federal reserve continues to claim. And so I was really focused on what were, what was the, what were the consumer price index numbers that came out on Wednesday and what were the producer price numbers that came out on Thursday. And, you know, by and large, they came in as expected, uh, maybe slightly below expectations, and so it didn't really spook the market like I thought it might. But it still has to give investors some pause when you take into consideration that wholesale prices at the wholesale level, and this statistic hasn't been kept for a long time. It's only been kept about 11 years. But 12-month wholesale price record increase of 8.6% year over year is the highest, you know, in, in the 11 years that statistic has been kept. That's at the producer price level. And consumer prices still over 5% year over year. I mean, that is still, 
I'm going to have to go back and research when the last time we had it that high, but it, it certainly hadn't been in recent memory. But the market from these two particular pieces of news that I thought were going to be market moving potentially in a negative way came in as expected, but the markets seemed to think it was okay. It wasn't worse than expected. So less worse news was good news. <laughs> we were coming up on the break because there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about last week. We'll, we'll do it after the break. Less worse. The Money Wise program always using proper English. Proper English. Let, let, let's take our first commercial break. Okay. You're, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to break, Jeff was just going into, I guess, kind of the bigger pieces of news from this past week on Wall Street was the producer price index, consumer price index. And as you were saying before we went to break, it was a little bit hotter in some areas than expected, but not too hot. I don't want to say it was a, a Goldilocks type report because it was a little it was a little bit hotter in some areas. But the bottom line is is that we're seeing higher inflation, and as we've been talking about all year on this program, and the Federal Reserve is echoing the same sentiment. Is this going to be transitory? Is it going to be more protracted as far as seeing this higher inflation? We know there's a supply chain bottleneck, and I know President Biden fumbled his way through another you know, press conference of trying to explain how they're going to be running the port of Long Beach 24-7 to try to get these containers finally out and on the road. But the bottom line is you, you need more drivers, you need more employees to be able to unload it. So he can say all he wants, but if you don't have the, the people power to move these things, it doesn't matter if it's open 24-7. Okay. But, but Go ahead, Jeff. No, I'll go ahead and finish, Joe. Well, I was just, I, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's really becoming evident, and we've talked about it on this program that these government checks given for too long has kept people out of the workforce for too long. But one thing I was talking to Joe about earlier this week, a statistic I read is last month, almost 5 million people quit their job. So if you still have millions of people unemployed and then you have some of the highest number of people quitting voluntarily, and it's going to only get worse with these vaccine mandates I mean, I heard that the the police force in Seattle could be cut by 50%. Have fun traveling there. Have fun vacationing in Seattle. If you're from Texas, hopefully you have your sidearm on your hip if you go. But this is just just this is just one police force across the country where these vaccine mandates are forcing people to quit their jobs because they're not going to be forced and have their constitutional rights taken away. All right. Yeah, we don't Jeffrey. we don't we don't know how much how 
how many people have been motivated to retire because of vaccine mandates. Um, I, I have some anecdotal evidence I did hear from, from someone this week that was considering retirement. I, the other thing that could be occurring here is that if people had been invested properly in their retirement accounts, they're probably at all time high valuations in their 401ks. And, and so this is a good, they're probably looking at it's like, you know, I've put in 40 years, 35 years, 45 years. My 401k has reached a, a valuation where I can pull out income from it at a reasonable withdrawal rate, which we're going to talk about that here in a moment. Um, and so I'm just going to pull the trigger. So I'm not, not surprised that markets at all-time highs, they have as many people saying, you know what, I'm done. Well, one other thing I wanted to add to that also, Jeff, is a situation if if some employees have traditional pensions, defined benefit plans. Now, I know not everybody listening to the show has that. And if you do, you're you're very fortunate. But I know a conversation we have with a lot of pre-retirees and some of the information that they've been receiving from their employers is the revaluation of their lump sum pension payout going into the future. And to sum it up very quickly, as interest rates increase, lump sum distributions become smaller. And so in a very low interest rate environment, that is when the lump sum pension rollovers are at their highest valuations. But now we've got inflation. Now we're going to see the Federal Reserve most likely raising interest rates in 2022. A lot of pension actuaries are trying to get ahead of the curve and they're revaluing these pensions into 2022, utilizing a higher interest rate, which then decreases the lump sum rollover value in defined benefit or traditional pension plans. So that has also been somewhat of a motivating factor leading people towards retirement because we've had conversations with clients and prospective clients that have been in that particular situation. So going back to the things that I thought were motivating factors in last in last week's nice nice gains in the market, we talked about producer prices, consumer prices, uh, not being hotter than expected, you know, ex- substantially hotter than expected, and so the market interpreted those numbers to be market friendly at least for the week. And then Joe had mentioned mentioned about uh, earnings from the banks, and you know, they were all blowout numbers. So the one thing about the banks that we have to remember is the banks don't use materials to produce their services or their products. Their products are basically a service, and they don't require steel. They don't require computer chips. They don't require whatever the input materials are. They don't require truckers to bring those materials to their offices. Next week is when we're going to start to hear from those companies, companies that do need inputs to produce whatever product they're making. And I'm going to be very curious to hear what they have to say. Now, is the market prepared to hear companies like FedEx? We talked about FedEx, I think, on last week's show that pre-announced their earnings and talked about their uh, the challenges to their margins because of what was happening to their input costs. We're going to be hearing from companies next week and the weeks to come 
that are going to be talking more about their input costs and how they're affecting their earnings. And are they going to have, are they going to come out and say something that the market is going to be perceiving as negative for future earnings expectations? And it, the market is not trading on what's happening right now. The market is trading on what it expects to be happening in the next 6 to 12 months. That's generally the way the markets should be trading. Now, does that say it, that happens perfectly all the time? No, no. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not. But generally, that's what the markets are doing. They're looking forward. So if the forward guidance is saying uh, margin compression due to input cost inflation, whether that be materials, whether that be labor, combination of both, that's going to have implications for stocks. So, yeah, we could we can rejoice a little bit in the in what's happened in the last week, but I got to caution investors that next week could be totally different. But 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 again, I'm I'm in the camp that the market is well aware of this. I think a lot of these issues and fears that you have is priced in in the market overall. Now, granted, it's a stock by stock situation when it comes to earnings and how investors react to one particular stock based on what they say. But I don't think anyone on the street is anticipating hearing a manufacturer raise the bar in their forward guidance. They're going to keep that bar lower and it's anticipated that they're going to keep that bar lower and as low as they can for as long as they can. So it's easier for them to jump over it as supply chain bottlenecks loosen up as employees start to finally come back to work, the combination of those two things. So I I think the market is very much anticipating hearing not the greatest things from manufacturing companies, whether it's their margins or anything. I think it's priced in. A lot of it is already priced in, but obviously it's going to be a wait and see. I think from the from the inflation data that we just received this past week, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Fed is going to be announcing the beginning of the tapering in November. I feel that that's already priced in. Well, they've and already they already telegraphed that in their in their exactly in the uh, market in in the market just, took it in stride. I'll, I'll, that's true. The markets did take it in stride. Uh, let me find a quote from. From the participants, though, that if a decision to begin tapering purchases occurs at the next meeting, now the next meeting November uh, is in November. There is no meeting in the month of October. The process of tapering could commence with the monthly purchase calendars beginning in either mid-November or mid-December, meaning the November 2nd and 3rd meeting, they could announce the taper beginning, which would which could actually start within two weeks of that of that meeting, or they may wait till December. But here's the other thing. Uh, the projection is up for the number of Fed officials that expect to raise interest rates in 2022 from seven. There was, seven was previous number. Now it's up to nine. Uh, nine out of uh, 18. But this far in advance, it's all data dependent. So they can talk about it, but until they actually – do the first interest rate increase, we'll have to wait and see. But the other thing to keep in mind, when they do start doing the tapering, I mean, they're buying $120 billion a month of bonds. The tapering, if from I remember reading, they're going to be starting at $10 billion a month. So if you're looking at $10 billion a month, 10 to $20 billion, I mean, it's going to take them well, well into the difference. mid- 
Yeah, I mean, if it's twenty, the market's not expecting that. that no, means, but but that, right that, now, well, that has the ten. So let's take our next commercial break. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcast, where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to commercial break, just talking briefly about the Fed's taper. And the Fed minutes came out this past week. I think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be announcing it in their November meeting, that they're going to begin the taper, and it could be starting in November. But I was mentioning that so far they're looking to start at about $10 billion a month of bond buying reduction. Now, they're spending $120 billion a month. So if they stuck to $10 billion and they start in November, it's going to take them a full year before the tapering is completely done. Now, obviously, in the articles and information I've, I've analyzed, they could decide to bump that up. They could go start at $10 billion, then bump it up to $15 billion, then to $20 billion, which obviously is going to affect when the tapering is going to end. And Joe, before you went to commercial break, you made the comment, the last big Fed meeting and press conference, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, made it very clear that they're separating the tapering and the decisions of when there possibly could be raising interest rates. Now, obviously, the, the, ri- the raising of interest rates is all going to be data dependent. And I think the Fed is, is going to definitely get through this tapering process. And then we'll see where the supply chain bottlenecks are. I know we've been reading reports and hearing on the news. It could be well into 2023 before supply chain bottlenecks and, and just everything gets back to a more normalized pre-pandemic state. But it's also going to be very much dependent on employees getting back into the workforce. And if you still have almost 10 million people unemployed and almost 5 million people quit their job voluntarily last month, it's it, there's definitely an imbalance that's going to take quite that, a bit of time. That's the X factor. That's the, the X factor. factor. And then, it, and then if, it, and then if the Democrats get their way and get some type of social engineering program through Congress and all of a sudden more free money, it's of course not free. It's coming from the American taxpayers starts to get into more and more hands. Is that going to continue to delay? And so could this go well into 2023 or into 2024? Now, obviously, there's a lot of variables and there's a lot of different factors that have to come in perfect alignment for this to to be prolonged and drug out. Well, we've punted out the whole debt ceiling issue out to mid-December. We're going to have another showdown here the last two weeks of the year. Going back to this this Fed, the, the market... Those that are you know, handicapping the Fed, and we do that a lot here on our show, much to Dad's dismay. <laughs> I was about to say his something. absolute dismay. He's much listening to, to the show. He's going to, you know, to, if yes. it was live, if this show was live, I know who would be on 
on uh, line number but, one. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> that's right. It's just, you, can't, three, you can't avoid it. You just can't avoid it. So if the market expects a $10 billion a month taper, and if the market expects that, that the Federal Reserve will not raise rates at, at terms of the federal funds rate until after the taper is completed, well, then, and if they're buying $140 billion a month. 100, 120, 120. 120. So that means they've got a year mm-hmm. from potentially December to finish the taper, which, which means that the first interest rate increase wouldn't be until sometime in 2023. Three. Right? Yep. So if, if the Federal Reserve comes out and says, oh, we're going to do $10 billion this month and 15 the next and 20, you know, do some sort of of arrangement where the taper ends sooner than a year from when the taper begins, that has the potential to move up the Federal Reserve's interest rate increase. I think the market would probably be taken aback at that. But at the end of the day, we always have to remind everyone that the Federal Reserve only controls the Federal Reserve rate. They do not control the 10-year Treasury yield or any of the other yields that exist in the marketplace, those are all determined by the marketplace itself. Investors. So even though the Federal Reserve has not changed the Federal Reserve rate since taking it to zero at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Was that March of 2020 when we went back to 0% Fed funds rates? Mm -hmm. And the 10-year Treasury bottomed at 0.31 for 10 years on March the 9th, 2020, well, we just talked about in the first segment, 10-year Treasury yields up one5 uh, up to 1.57% up from 0.31. So the market has raised interest rate yields, what are we up, five-fold in, mm-hmm. in a year and a half, a little, about a year and a half, and the Federal Reserve, the Fed funds rate is, it hasn't changed at all. Yeah. So yeah, there's some there's a part of it that's psychological, you know, the Federal Reserve raising rates because the market's already been raising rates, and the question question is how how it's the velocity and the interest rate itself, whatever that number is that you know that I've been concerned about and how that number plugs into the valuation methodology for stocks to justify where we're at in terms of historic valuations of stocks compared to the past. And I know ladies and gentlemen can't see the market comments that we've just finished and put with our quarterly reports. Um, Hey, if you want to see the market comments, you know, drop us an email at moneywise at davidsoncap.com and we'll send you a copy of the market comments. Uh, but I went into uh, a little bit of an explanation about those economic statistics that appear to be late business cycle statistics, such as corporate debt, such as price to earnings valuations based on a lot of different levels, price to sales, price to earnings. Uh, there's a lot of late cycle red flashing lights out there. Now, does that mean that we can't run up another 5 or 10%? No, I mean, we could do that. Or I mean, more. Or more, exactly. Thank you, Kyle. Or more. But it's going to take a lot of different factors in order to do that. The inflation has to be, prove itself to be transitory. And, and, and I'm not seeing that yet. 
Well, it's, it's just still, because it's, Biden it's came out. Too early. It's just still because, too early to tell. It just because Biden came out this week and said, "Oh, we are going to get these ports to run twenty four hours a day, and this to run twenty four hours a day, and that to run twenty four hours a day." Does not necessarily mean that the bottlenecks that are occurring in the supply chain are going are going to be taken care of in the next month. Oh so no, he, no, no! So he's not yeah. like the Wizard of Oz. That's what you're no. saying. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely not the wizard. Behind the curtain. That's right. I mean, I, he's, he's a wizard. Power. He's a wizard of whatever he touches turns to crap. Okay. I mean, okay. Yeah, oh I mean, he is a wizard of that. So. Keep it purple. Keep I, I it purple. Uh, forget purple. So Jeff, We're on a conservative talk station. Je- Jeff, so yes. we always talk about Tina. When is Tina dead? So if the, the tenure treasury <laughs> is it two or three? Are you telling me when does Tina become Karen? When does Tina become Karen and dead? Sorry, and Karen. Sorry, there Karen. is another alternative. I talked to multiple doing research, a couple of portfolio management teams on the fixed income side, and they're all thinking 1.75 maybe by the end of the year. We were talking 2%. When is it where there is an alternative? To, well, well the, market doesn't, this, the market doesn't die. What happens is you don't get the four, you don't get the fourth year of double digit gains. Yeah, it reprices, which is, which is another thing that I put in into the market comments. In the last fifty one years, there this will only have, if we finish this year with a double digit positive return for the S and P five hundred with dividends. This will be only the third time in fifty one years that we've had three years in a row. We had five years in the dot-com era in a row from 95 to 99. And then 2012, 13, and 14, we had a, you know, three years in a row of double-digit returns on the S&P 500. And what happened in 2015? What, was the, what happened in 2015? It was a, it was a positive, like, 1.4. Basically, whatever the dividend that received, that was, that was the return that particular year. And so the statistics, and we all know what happened after the five years in a row up more than, you know, double digits. We had a three-year in bear market. In the late market. 90s. In and I'm, late not, 90s. I'm, not, I'm not saying we're going to have a three-year bear market. What I'm saying, statistically, 2022 is going to be challenged. And we got all kinds of data to, to say right now the things that could affect 2022 and cause, this, cause a less than, in my opinion – We'll be challenged to get mid-single-digit returns in stocks next year, in, in my opinion, based on what we've been seeing with inflation, based on what we're seeing with interest rates, based on what we're seeing in price-to-earnings ratios, debt levels, all those things. So I'm not, but I'm not uh, – you know, and, and maybe I'm making a call quite early here because we still have two and a half. making a call. Two and a half months left, but – that's you know that's what I'm seeing 2022 right now, and in terms of our portfolios, you know we haven't we haven't raised our asset allocation to stocks uh, in months, and we've been at lower than we've been in lower than maximum asset allocation to stocks since February of 2020. We sold we took a profit in another stock this week and reduced our asset allocation slightly. Well, we're still about approximately 60% invested in stocks. So it's not like we're not participating. And it's not like the portfolios are positioned for a big the sky is not falling. And I know we got to take another commercial break. So let's talk about what investors could be doing and should be doing in their portfolios as they're coming into the end of the year, looking forward into 2022. So we'll do that after this. 
You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to leave your comments and like the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts. So come in the last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program. So talking about all these different market forces, and I know any longtime listener of the MoneyWise program, Def, Jeff is definitely a little bit more in the bearish camp. Um, myself, I'm actually comfortable with our allocations right around that 60% level. I don't feel that we should be going any lower because some of these forces, we just need a little bit more time to see if it's going to be more prolonged. I mean, we have evidence of why inflation is where it is. I mean, some of it was policy decisions by the Biden administration and his infinite stupidity. Um, (laughs) There's also issues like we've talked about, the lack of employees, the supply chain bottlenecks, which over time that will start to level out. But then let's also look at some of the positives. And we've talked about it on this program. We've got the consumer flush with cash, absolutely flush with cash, personal income to debt expenditures at 40 year highs of personal income to debt expenditures. And I know, Jeff, you don't want to hear any of the positive. You only want to hear about the rain. You don't no. want to hear about the sun. No, no, no. No, what I'm, no, what I'm going to say is just because they're flush with cash doesn't mean they're going to be buying stocks with it. No, that, that's, that's true. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to buy stocks. But as goes the economy, so goes the market. No, I, I totally agree. As goes the economy and as, and as the goes thing. the market. But Hold on, Joe. Hold on. Ahead, I was man. just going to say this, and like I said on last last week's program, the media is completely throwing under the bus or completely covering up this Merck, this Merck pill that can save people from dying from COVID by taking this five-pill pill pack that they just applied for emergency use this past week to get it approved. Now, the markets, when this was first announced a couple weeks ago, the markets had a very nice positive reaction to it. But since then, it's been nowhere in the media. They're not talking about it. Now, I don't know, not to be a conspiracy theorist, it's because the Modernas, the Pfizers, and the J&Js of the world are in cahoots with the government, and they're just, again, pushing everybody to the jab, as opposed to other therapeutics that you could take, like a pill pack. You know, we get this pill pack out around the world, This is going to allow economies around the world to open up and people to stop being so fearful of the COVID pandemic to, again, accelerate and put a bigger head of steam behind the economy, which will fix and help alleviate a lot of the issues, Jeff, that you're very much concerned with, which then has a potential negative effect on the stock market. I I, I think, in my opinion, I was talking to, you know, Kyle earlier this week and I was talking to a, a buddy earlier this week. It'll do away with it. It'll essentially depoliticize maybe COVID for a change where there's an actually alternative and work and, and business owners that have this vaccine mandate can say, you know what, 
you could do this. Or, by the way, if we do have some type of way to get over it quickly, um, I think that could be a positive and, may, and maybe get some more people back to work. Because I think that's where the standstill is we're seeing with unions. I mean, you look at John Deere this week. Well, there's there's polarization, massive polarization. It's massive polarization, which isn't helping alleviate the employment issue, which then exacerbates the supply chain issue, which exacerbates inflation, which exacerbates potential concerns of these stocks having to lower their future guidance and squeezing their profit margins and 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 squeezing their bottom line. And then we can all just love each other like we did, you know, two or three years ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I might have just you know. Well, that was a good really, really. How, how many people were at the A and M game here last? Was a hundred five thousand, hundred six thousand. How many of those people were? At, I'd say people are back to enjoying football. Like well, that. they definitely have the That's right sure. chants that are going on. Let's go, Brandon! Right? Well, there's a lot of whiskey that was you know consumed after that game, and that probably killed a lot of them. You know, the COVID a lot of the virus. Oh, okay. So is that that's yeah. the cure? The famous grouse is the cure. Okay. So so bottom line for 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 investors, you know, as we've always said on this program, and we continue to echo and repeat ourselves on this same sentiment, is that knowing what you own. I mean, I had a prospective client brought in their portfolio this week, highly highly concentrated into high flying technology names, very speculative names, and it's paid off extremely well. It's paid off extremely well in, 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 in this prospective client's portfolio. But the one thing that, that we talk about, and I know it's a, a good saying for Jeff, is you know, let's not confuse and not speaking of this prospect in general, but when you're looking at your portfolio, if it's highly concentrated and particular industry groups has a lack of diversification, you're taking a larger than a 5% bet in any one individual company, and it's paid off extremely well, you know, congratulate yourself, pat yourself on the back, but just don't get conf- don't confuse your your ability to manage your portfolio with a bull market. You know, just don't get confused. Don't be lulled into a sense of of security that hey, I I highly concentrated my portfolio in these handful of names. They've literally ripped the cover off the ball. I've made a ton of money in it, and I'm just going to continue to stay. No, what you need to do is you have to take your profits. And you have to know what you own, and you have to be diversified, especially going in to next year and really going into the end of this year because the waters are definitely much murkier now than as they've been in years past. That is something I will agree with, Jeff. Markets are definitely a little bit more murky. So it's better to be highly diversified taking on that barbell approach, having an income paying side of your portfolio, having a growth engine side of your portfolio. And as we do at Davidson Capital Management, with every single portfolio we manage, have a solid foundation of fixed income and cash. And right now, again, our fixed income is extremely short duration. And I had another conversation with a prospective client a week, week, week and a half, two weeks ago, where if you're owning bonds, be it bond mutual funds or bond exchange traded funds, you have to pay attention to the duration, which is measured in years. And that will show you the level of interest rate sensitivity you have. The higher your duration in years, the higher interest rate sensitivity your bond portfolio is going to have. And if we're staring down the the barrel of higher interest rates in the future, you've got to dial back 
your duration. I mean, for example, our duration is right around two years in our fixed income portfolio. So you have to keep that duration short. And the only way you can control that if you own bond mutual funds or bond ETFs is owning the right bond mutual fund or ETF that has that shorter duration. So, but if you'd like to get a better handle on your overall portfolio, you can always give us a call at 800-275-2162 for your portfolio review and analysis. And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners to MoneyWise in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, I'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. If you'd like to catch a second hour, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or, subs- to, or subscribe, if I can get the word out, to the Money Wise podcast on the Apple Podcast. And with that, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, and I found a, an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things Every Retirement Portfolio Should Have. And for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners in the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into. Because I, I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have, and number one being consistent income, and I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And 
what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock and kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again. Uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend well, yield. Well, you could say it's more than 5 I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call uh, you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say. The problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired. That, that they can survive on unless, and as we've talked on this program, if you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we 
there there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general there's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value many of the the, the master limited partnerships some of the REITs had large declines in values and saw their yields go up and for whatever reason the, the the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security and having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%. But if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when, we, when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more uh, – uh, there's a better treatment of, of, of taxation – uh, on on those dividend paying stocks, and you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, right before we went to commercial break, the REITs or Real Estate Investment Trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and I've said I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said oh Kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent dividend yield I'm getting and I'm saying and I said to them but you've lost 50 percent or 75 percent of the value of your original investment and then I see the look come over their face saying oh my gosh I just realized that I was like you said earlier focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture so for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print 
in every perspective. As we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that, oh, you know, it, it's it, that's all it. these, this all these, it. yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go, we'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with, with, with folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks. You have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio, you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar. But most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port, have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds, they thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at, I don't care where the markets are, I don't care what the news is, I don't care what the Fed's doing, I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling, and so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013. And, you know, and and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income because that's what that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds that I I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to to fixed income found out that yes. You can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, 
you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here that have come through our front door that have been in that situation, if you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, Number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans, And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that 
that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire. The one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners in the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions. Um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less than option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident. 
that guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you, re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you, let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liquid, it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of uh, payments which is in essence an annuity they don't ever call it that I know. which is very interesting it's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office it never says annuity 
It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, life for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence and annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case... Complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff, some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees' pension plans by keeping more money in it, they don't have to contribute as much as, right. as a corporation, which improves their profitability. That's right. And so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire. That's right. It's not very common, but it does happen. It does happen. So. Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis. And the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs. Where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially, 
you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts, or REITs, in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded. Okay. So, again, when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's Money Wise program. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have. We've done consistent income, preservation of capital, capital liquidity, slash flexibility, and we've got number four and five coming up after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, And the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, Um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based 
uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. And and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And and, and the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because. Cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show. They can add up, and they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out. Uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there That's right. uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again, is long-term growth. The bottom line is, is as you get closer to retirement, and as Jeff said at the, the beginning of this second hour, you can't just board up your portfolio. You cannot say, well, I'm two or three years away from retiring, so now I'm just going to move everything 100% into fixed income. Now I'm safe. Yeah, preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth. You always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation 
is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss well it's not going to show it on your statement but it is a loss one thing that that i think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the cpi running around two percent are just about over and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit-sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week